What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. There was a guy named Simeon Stylites. He was in. Uh, he lived in the 300s AD. This guy was a character. He actually built a column that was six feet high in the Syrian desert and lived on it. It was actually, I think they even said it was only three feet wide. So imagine this with me, a six foot wide, a six foot high pillar, a column with three feet wide, and he lived on it. He then found when he was searching through the desert, he found a column that was actually 60 feet high and still three feet wide with a railing around so that when he would sleep on it, he wouldn't roll over and fall off. Anybody else roll over and fall off their bed? Still, <laughs> amen, all right? <laughs> no, I haven't in a while, but let's not talk about that. Um, and, and so he built this thing, right? And he was, he was a guy who was trying to just follow Jesus and to learn more about Jesus. It actually says in history, he had this column and he lived there on that 60-foot tall column for 30 years. There he was exposed to rain, to sun and cold. Again, this is the Syrian desert. He had his disciples. He spent his life thinking and, and teaching. And so his disciples, poor guys, they would have to learn how to rock climb, essentially, would climb up there 60 feet and go and bring him food. And then they would have to remove his waist and bring it down. Okay? Praise the Lord, we don't do this anymore. Now, what he did to even further become more like Jesus, again, this was in his mind. I'm going to refute this. He tried, what he did is he bound himself to the pillar by a rope. He tied it very tightly around his waist. And again, he never changed out this rope for 30 years. And this rope essentially became a part of his flesh. It was embedded into his body. Aren't you so happy you came this morning? It was infested with worms, and it even says that there would be times when Simeon would look at his waist, and the worm would fall off from his sores, and he would grab the worm, put them back, and said, eat what God has given you. There's another story that's almost, this, that one's pretty repulsive. There was a lady who was trying to practice what, in her eyes, practice the way of Jesus and these spiritual disciplines, and, and she believed that a big part of serving Jesus is to serve the poor, serve the least of these, which I completely agree with. And so it says in the history books that she walked past a gentleman that had the nastiest feet he's ever, she's ever seen in her entire life, pus everywhere, need I say more, Right? The stench was strong with this one. Walked past, she felt bad because she was, first of all, repulsed by the smell and the image, and also that she walked by. She immediately thought of the Samaritan story account and how she was like the religious leaders who would go on the other side of the street and simply walk by somebody who was in need. And so she actually wound up taking a bowl, going back to this homeless man, washing this man's feet, which is fantastic. If you've never done a feet washing, you should do it. Um, it's gross, but it's actually, it's a weird, um, amazing thing. And especially if your wife has clean feet, amen? And so anyways, do it right after she takes a pedic gets a pedicure, right? That, that's the best way. Anyways, he would, she washed this man's feet, but then the story gets worse because she felt so bad for what she did. She took the bowl and drank it. 
Now, a lot of people, when we think of the disciplines, I, 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 we're using in this series and kind of our language, I like using practicing the way of Jesus. And Jesus had these certain practices that we're actually called to follow. And so Jesus, this whole series is practicing the way of Jesus. We have to realize that, that Jesus doesn't just come to give us life. He also gives us a way of life. He doesn't just give us a life that's in heaven, but he gives us and enables us to live and bring heaven here as much as possible on earth. That was God's will, and that was God's plan. If you think about why Jesus would teach and preach before the crucifixion, if his only purpose was to just forgive you of your sins, he would have just stayed silent his whole life and figured out a way to get crucified. But instead, he gave us not rules necessarily to live by, but a new lifestyle to adhere to. And we have to see that here. So a lot of us, though, when we look at the practices of Jesus, these spiritual disciplines, we often think that they're, they're dry, that they are like taking a bowl of pus and drinking it. And our desire is in this series is not for you to look at these are things for the spiritual elite or just the wackos. This is actually for you and for me. Um, the practices of Jesus, Dallard Willer says, are not at all about the hatred of the body, indulging in punishment for punishment's sake, that's what I think that they were doing in my story earlier, or of the earning of merit through the will and self-control. A lot of people also misunderstand these practices by saying, if I do these things, then God will love me. Friends, there's only one reason why God loves you, and it's because Jesus took your sin. He, then he can lavishly pour his grace upon you because he had to pour his wrath on somebody, and Jesus took your place if you believe in him. So what I want us to see today is we're going to look at fasting in particular. So the last two weeks, we've talked a lot about what, it, what are the spirit, like, should we practice the way of Jesus? Now we're starting to get in the nitty greedy. Okay, here are some of these practices. I'm so excited to go through it. We're just going to go through four weeks. Today is fasting. Next week is like meditation, silence, and solitude. Oh, it's going to be so good. The week after that is going to be on either prayer or Sabbath. I'm not sure which way I'll organize, but the last two will be prayer and Sabbath. And oh, I'm so excited for us to kind of get a new a breath of fresh air when it comes to these practices. Now, today's about fasting, and fasting has a lot to do with the body. Now, there is a great misunderstanding that we have as Christians about the body, and I think there's, you maybe fall on one or two sides. Some of you here today think that the body is just evil. This is something, I am not my body, I just happen to have a body, and when I die, I'm going to get rid of it. I don't need this thing, I just have a body because I need to have one, right? It's the way I operate. Some of you believe that way. And so a lot of people who believe that the body is evil, either they, don't, they, probably, they just don't take care of it at all. They don't see how this is a part of practice in the way of Jesus, and it's just there, and they do whatever they want with it. Also, some of you think that the body is just uninvolved. The body just means nothing. You, you're not so far as to saying it's evil, and you hate it, and you try to punish it, but it's just like, oh, it's nothing. But, but actually, what we have in Scripture is body is actually very much a part of our spiritual walk with Jesus. Again, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, but Genesis 1 and 2, um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize it for you, but we know that is the creation account, right? In Genesis 1, 27, what does God say? He says, let us, which why, by the way, we believe that insinuates the Trinity, let us make man, and woman, by the way, okay, in our own image. 
And this was very, very important. But also you see in chapter two, God takes the dust and take, uses the dust and breathes life into Adam. What's really cool in the Hebrew, when you read Genesis chapter two, uh, Adam is Adam, which just literally means man. So the first man's name was Adam, Adam. But what's really cool, and I think I'm misinterpreting the, the uh, I don't know, I didn't take Hebrew is what I'm trying to tell you. I took Greek. But what's cool in Genesis 2, when he says when he took the dust, it literally just is Adamah. So it, it's like man is made of the dust. What we have to see in Genesis 1 and 2 is we have this unique thing where our body, I hope you guys are tracking me this morning. This is going to be a good day. Our body is composed of dust and yet is composed of divinity at the same time. It's a weird uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> I just have always wanted to use that word in a sermon. There you go. It's a strange juxtaposition where we are dust. We, we, we are born and we, we, our bodies go back to the dust. But at the same time, because let us make man in our own image, we also, we're not divinity in of ourselves. We're not gods, but yet we have the divinity within us. We are made in his own image. This is why, unlike every other creature in the world, we crave and we love, we love, right? We crave community and a sense of, of actually interacting with each other on deeper levels that no other creature really cares for. It doesn't even know how to do. And, and some other people, we say, are, us as a human, we are made of both body and spirit. My goal for you today is for us to see how what we do with our body greatly influences what we and how we operate with our spirit. Um, this is point number one. The disciplines, the, what I again like to say is practicing the ways of Jesus, but the disciplines deal with the dichotomy of our bodies being both dust and divinity. Our disciplines deal with the dichotomy of our bodies being both dust and divinity. Is our body temporary? Yes, but we also believe that our body will have a resurrected body. But at the same time, what we have to realize with our bodies is we can use our bodies to enjoy things that are eternal. Our bodies cannot be ignored. I wish I had more time to talk about this. This is all I'm going to say about that for now because we have to actually go into the practice of fasting. But if you're interested in this at all, Dallas Willard has been greatly influential for me in this whole series. But in chapter four of The Spirit of the Disciplines, it's a great book, he talks about how we are both dust and divinity. Now, he uniquely created us to reflect him and enjoy him. And much of how we do that, do that is actually through our bodies, okay? So this is number one. Our body is important, Therefore, where we spend the rest of our time, therefore fasting is important because fasting does a lot of things for our bodies and our bodies do a lot of things for our soul. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verse 16, we have Jesus. Um, what's interesting here, Jesus talks about the practices of Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We believe Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter five through seven. And he only mentions three disciplines here, three practices in his Sermon on the Mount. Number one is prayer. Two is fasting, and three is giving to the poor. It's really interesting. When we think of the most important disciplines of the Christian life, I'm not sure if all of us would have that same list. Jesus puts it very high on the top as something that we must all practice. Now, I want us to notice a couple things here, and then we'll really dive in. Verse 16, it says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put on Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
A quick note on this. A lot of people, mis- I believe, misinterpret this passage in saying never talk about your fast, right? It's like fight club. The number one rule, don't talk about fight club. Um, with fasting, I believe you can talk about it, especially within your covenant community. You can talk about uh, these things. However, what he's saying here is don't be braggadocious. Don't say, ooh, look at me, I'm fasting. You've missed the whole point. But you can say, yes, let us fast together. There's a way to fast in community. This is why we do our 21 days of fasting. That, that is a holy thing to do. So I want to make sure you point, I pointed that out. I also want to point out verse 16, whenever you fast. Here's a couple of things we have to see here. Number one, Jesus assumes that we would fast, but it's not so, it's not in the command um, term. So what you have to see here is there's nowhere in scripture where God absolutely commands that you fast. So you can take a breath, okay? You don't have to apply any of this, but I think you're going to miss out on a lot. But this isn't a, you make sure you have to fast. But we see all throughout scripture that this is actually a very, very joyful thing to do. And Jesus assumes that you will do it because there are so many good things that come from it. Now, fasting used to be seen as foundational. In Jesus's first century world, I, I learned that this week, most Jews and every single Pharisee that you see in scriptures fasted every single Monday and every single Thursday. So that's a great way to make Monday even more miserable. Amen? Just fast on top of it all. And and that's what they did. But I love the early church. They're just, um, they're gangster. They say, hey, let us not fast on those days because that's what the hypocrites do. There was um, an early writing, it's called the Didache, and they literally have in quote, do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites. But they still wanted to fast twice a week. So the early church, instead of Monday and Thursday, they would fast every Wednesday and Friday. This was absolute common practice. Did you know that? It's really interesting. What they never did, unless it was an intentional 40-day fast, they never fasted on Sabbath, which for them was Saturdays in the early church, and they never fasted on Sundays, which was celebration, which is our worship hour. Christians in the early church were very intentional about Saturday being Sabbath, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. I can, that's going to be my favorite one we're going to talk about. I have ignored this practice of Jesus, and I've been trying it lately. If you ever text me on Saturday, I will not text back because I don't have my phone around me. There you go. Um, It's been really, really good, and I can't wait to talk about it. But they refused to fast on those days. Those were days of celebration and enjoying God, Um, except there is one day every year that the early church and Christians all throughout history until, honestly, recently, they would only fast on the Holy Saturday, which is the day right before Easter. So on that Sabbath day, they did refuse to eat in honor of that gloomy day and then waking up Sunday morning with the tomb being empty. Now, Lent, you guys heard of Lent before? Lent was actually an early church practice as well. This was 40 days of fasting, and it was 40 days of fasting leading up to Easter. So Sunday morning, your fast is done. You get to enjoy and celebrate. This is very interesting. I always, the, the friends that I do, normally what we say Lent is kind of um, something for the Catholic church. They kind of own that. But a lot of also what we call ourselves Protestant churches, um, there are some that practice Lent. Lent has kind of turned into abstaining from something. So I'm, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink soda for 40 days, or I'm not going to be on social media for 40 days, but I'm going to make sure the four days before it, I'm going to tell everybody on social media that I'm fasting from social media, right? That's just what we love to do. I do that too. Um, but we, we, we kind of choose it as an act of abstaining, but it used to be for 40 days and 40 nights, they would intentionally abstain from food, either um, just for the daytime or the whole thing. Some people are crazy. Now, fasting, 
Uh, I'm going to teach you a little bit more. I, I realize I, <laughs> I, we've, we've done 42 days of fasting as a church, and I've never preached on it. So fantastic. So if you've never done it before, it's like, it's because you never taught me. Well, now there's no more an excuse. Fasting. Hear this. Fasting is abstaining from food and sometimes water and nothing else. I learned that this week. I checked double source all the stuff. There is this practice called abstaining which abstaining is a practice of Jesus. So if one of these fasts, you said, I'm not fast, I'm just abstaining from Netflix. Praise the Lord. That is something that you should do. And maybe in our next fast, you're like, I'm not going to fast, but I am going to abstain. I think that's still great, but just don't call it a fast because that doesn't really in concordance with what we have here. Fasting is food and sometimes drink, which is crazy. Don't, I don't know. You can do whatever you want, but that's insane. Now, sometimes it's 12 hours, Sometimes the fast can be three days, 24 hours, 21 days, which we like to do because that's kind of what they say is what develops a habit. And there's other parts in the scriptures that say it's 40 days. By the way, real quick, fasting is also not dieting. A lot of people call it, have you ever heard of the Daniel fast? No idea why they call it that. It's the Daniel diet, okay? Because he's not actually fasting. He's just um, eating certain things. I don't know why they call it the Daniel fast. It's okay. Don't be that guy. Like, that's not a fast. Don't do that. Just let them have the Daniel fast. It's good for them anyways. Now, there are three different accounts where somebody is fasting for 40 days. I have never done a 40-day fast. My dad did it one time. It was towards the beginning of the ch- of our of his church plant. It was my church. Anyways, I have now have a church. The first church, heart cry. And, um, and so he fasted from all food for 40 days. You just say hi, and he just started crying. Like, I love you, son. That is not my dad, but it got him in this weird mental and spiritual state. And I said, Dad, never fast that long again. <laughs> Amen. Um, no, it was really a good time for him, but he also could not wait to eat. Uh, but he took vitamins and pills. You have to be very, consult your doctor. You have to be very wise in how you do the 40 day. I don't want to be responsible for one of you being in the hospital, is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, Moses had a 40 day fast, and what's cool is he's the archetype of the law. He's kind of the father. Like he's the one who introduced the law. We have Elijah. He had a 40-day fast. And when you look at Elijah, he's kind of the the archetype of the prophets. And then you have Jesus who had a 40-day fast in Matthew chapter 4. And he's the archetype of the new covenant. He's the deliverer of that. Um, Fasting, are you guys still with me? Fasting was extremely common, even up through the 1700s. You guys ever heard of John Wesley? He is very influential. Um, he started the Methodist movement, the Wesleyan Church, all of these things. John Wesley was known for his fierce evangelism. He has this quote, and I love it. I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, <laughs> um, both in England and Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice in the week as all the stricter Pharisees did, that they do not even fast twice in the month. What excuse can there be there for this? How different are we in a time now when John Wesley could not believe there were some so-called Methodists in his church who didn't fast twice a month? Most of us in this room, if we're honest, I won't ask you to raise your hand, have you ever fasted? People would all raise their hand when I said, have you never fasted? Yep, I have never fasted before. it's just kind of been a recent phenomenon. Richard Foster, I'm almost getting, I'm teaching a lot today. Richard Foster, it's very interesting. He wrote a book on these disciplines. He couldn't find a single book published about fasting between 1861 and 1954. Nothing was written on the art of fasting, nothing. 
And I would even say just from that time and on, fasting is very, very strange. And the reason I share those stories in the beginning is I think a lot of us are turned off by, by fasting because we think of allowing worms to eat our flesh, right? Like we don't see the necessity of fasting. We think it's just for the crazy religious people. But I would love to argue, what we're going to look at today is I think a lot of us, maybe even to the point of, of struggling with depression, struggling with, with all sorts of bodily appetites because we have never practiced the art of fasting. Point number two, the practices of Jesus train the soul to be like Jesus through a combination of feasting and releasing. So this is fasting, but this is almost every other practice of Jesus we're going to look at. It's this combination of putting, uh, uh, putting off, which is releasing certain things of the world, and putting on. Putting on is feasting on the things of God. Got it? So I titled today's message, Fasting as Feasting, because I want us to see that fasting is a way to feast on the goodness of God, feast on His strength, and it's actually something that can bring us a whole lot of joy. Feasting, fasting is releasing what's wrong in our life and feasting on what is good in our life. You ready? Okay, number three, whatever. It's point, whatever, okay. Underneath that point is the next point. What, what, what does fasting do? Fasting releases our merit and feasts on God's mercy. Now, before I jump into this even too much, so again, fasting is abstaining from food, very, very particular. There's a reason you're doing these things. One reason you're doing it is to release your merit and feast on God's mercy. Fasting will never forgive you of your sins. What will? The cross right? The resurrection. Jesus is the only one who does that. But fasting is a way to focus on that and, and allow God to make that a ever-burning reality in your life. We have it all throughout scripture. Job, Job chapter 3 and Job 33, we see how Job is fasting from food because he desperately needs God's mercy. I don't have time to tell the story of Job, but he lost everything. And his natural response is saying, God, I, I don't have anything anymore. I am desperate. I am abstaining from food. I need you more than anything. You also have in Jonah, um, in 3 verse 5, it says the Ninevites, they recognized their sin. And, um, oh, we have it up here. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. It is an act. It's not what forgives you, but it is saying, God, like I am just so overwhelmed by my sin and I just need to lay it down at your feet and, and it's a way, God responds generously when we do such a thing. You also have in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David fasts on behalf of his terminally ill son, pleading for God's mercy to allow his son to live. We actually see that he did not live. The, the son passed away. It's a reminder for us. Some of us need to be reminded that at the end of the day, God doesn't love you because of how great you are. God loves you because of how great he is. And fasting is a great reminder of that. Some of us need that reminder. Some of you, maybe you feel like pride has really taken root. One of the greatest things you can do a practice of Jesus is to start fasting and to abstain and say, God, I am nothing. You'll quickly notice you think you're so strong and powerful. Just go a couple meals and you're a terrible person. You're weak, all this stuff. It's a reminder of who you are and how God is the one that sustains you. Here's the next thing, what fasting does. Fasting releases our comfort and feasts on God's calling. You have Acts chapter 13, verse 2. I don't know if I have that up there or not. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which we, will know as, we know as Paul, for the work of which I have called them. 
So some of you, you're like, God, what have you called me to do? I don't know. Um, I'm in college. I'm about to graduate. Where do I go? I would encourage you prayer, community, all these things. But a huge thing that really can help is fasting, saying, God, more than I want food, I want your direction in my life. Now, will the Holy Spirit all of a sudden turn on a megaphone? Maybe not. But you will see through community, through God's word, through different things, you will start to have a peace towards the direction that God's calling you. Or maybe you're lucky and God does talk to you. Let me know how that goes and what voice he has. Is it like Morgan Freeman? I don't know, okay? I, I wonder. Acts 14, 23 also pretty much says the same thing. It says when they um, had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This was another sending out. Paul had um, and Barnabas appointed elders in the church by fasting. We have talked about, we have our ecclesiology workshop, the last ones tonight. And one thing I will be doing, our church leadership will be doing is fasting, asking God, God, who are the deacons and elders that you've given us already? Or, and also fasting and, and, and um, asking God, God, will you give us some more? Who, who, who will you bring into our church to do such a thing? Um, in October, my main emphasis when, I, when we started our fast was this, God, what is your direction in my life? What not only that though is more of, God, what is your direction for this church? What was really interesting, this was the first time I fasted since starting this church and I received more clarity. The whole 21 days, I got nothing. I was like, God, what do you have for me? And God was just silent. I was like, thanks, God. So I was hungry, and it was silent. I was like, come on. But I kept pursuing, kept pressing God, and incredible things kept falling into place once the fast was over. And I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but I also believe those things would not have happened if I had not fasted, if our church had not fasted. So again, fasting releases our comfort and feast on God's calling. Some of us are so comfortable in where we're at, we're not actually asking God where to take us. Uh, by the way, fasting doesn't force God's hand to do anything. I used to think this. When I started, um, we called it the gathering when I was in high school and we have a once a month thing. I would fast every Saturday before, just, just the, sun, the Saturday right before I would preach on Sunday night because I would think if I fast, then people will be saved. That is not the right type of thinking. That is a God fasting. I'd love for people to be saved, but it's ultimately all in his hands. So you know if you fasted for the wrong purpose, if you're angry once the fast is done and you still don't have an answer, that's probably why God didn't give you an answer because you weren't doing it for the right reasons. You with me? Go ahead and put up that point up one more time. Um, so fasting releases our comfort. Nope, you, you're giving away my, my, my Shazam, okay? <laughs> fasting releases our comfort and feast on God's calling in your life. I think if anybody talks to me, oh, you guys talk to me, praise the Lord, okay? But when it, one of the main things you say is, I don't know what God wants to do with my life. And I'm gonna start saying more and more, have you fasted about it? Now again, doesn't this seem strange? Some of this, we like, that's so religious. That's so, I don't know. God has created it where fasting is enables us because I think the comforts of the world, of our body, makes us so distracted and we don't have time to really focus on the things of God. Here's the last thing that fasting does. Fasting, you already know, <laughs> fasting releases our stubbornness and feasts on God's strength. Matthew chapter four, go ahead and turn there, just left for me it is, oh man, it's two pages, I thought it'd just be one. Uh, we have uh, verse chapter four, you have in chapter three, Jesus was baptized. This was the commissioning of his ministry. And then four verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
I'll read a little more. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is interesting, Jesus knew that the devil would tempt him, and Jesus fasted to get ready for it. I want us to also see, I wish I had more time. I love this sermon. What we have here is notice how Jesus is tempted by Satan and it was pertaining to food, and if he took up the food, then everything would have gone haywire. Did that not happen in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve were tempted by... So what Jesus did, what Adam and Eve could not do, which is a picture that Jesus does for us that you and I could never do. If it was you and I, we would take that bread. So cool, too, is when you go to the wilderness, there where Jesus was tempted, I got to go there, and what's crazy is those stones literally look like loaves of bread. It's trippy, and I'm like, Jesus, that's crazy. It even looks like bread. Um, Anyways, what we see here, we often look at this story and think, oh, Jesus was weak. After the 40 days, he was in a vulnerable spot, and even when he was so vulnerable, he still said no to Satan. Might I argue that because Jesus knew Satan would come and tempt him, he fasted to get ready and to get strong. A lot of us think he was the we- at his weakest. I would argue, and commentators argued as I read this week, Jesus was at his peak strength, his prime, baby. It's my birthday on Wednesday, 27. That's my prime. I'm ready. I'm ready for my prime, baby. Come on, Satan. No, don't, Satan. Don't do that. All right, that could have been real bad. I'm, yeah, Jesus. Okay, now, we also, one more thing What's kind of cool. We see a dramatic difference here between Jesus's wilderness experience and Israel's wilderness experience. So not only is it showing Adam and Eve and how they failed, but what did the Israelites do when they were in the wilderness? They tried to eat the whole time. On Sabbath, Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna give you enough food on the day before to where on Saturday, on Sabbath, you don't have to go out and search for food. I've given you enough. Just enjoy it and enjoy creation and rest. What did they do? Sabbath morning, they went out to look for food. Jesus does the exact opposite because he knows the strength is not from the food. His strength is from his faith in God, and he knows what's going to get him through that wilderness experience is not things of the flesh, but will get him through that wilderness experience is the things of God, and that's what gives him the most strength. Fasting enables us to access a strength that we could not have without. Got it? Aren't you so excited to fast now? I think it's so great. Thomas A. Kempis, um, smart guy, he said this, Refrain from gluttony, and thou shalt the more easier... Okay, I can't read King James Version. Let me try this one more time. Refrain from gluttony, (laughs) and thou shalt more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. I'm pretty sure he had that accent. If not, he should. Okay, you probably heard nothing of what I just said. What fasting does, this is what's insane, what I've been learning, and I'm like, oh, I just want to go tell all my friends. What fasting does is when you fast from bodily appetites, it actually enables you to say no to other bodily appetites. Some of you have struggled with lust and temptation your whole life, and maybe, just maybe, fasting might set you free from that addiction. So many people say, I've tried, I've prayed, but okay, we've been trying to say the last few weeks, there's so many practices I I will never discount 
praying, Bible reading are of utmost importance. But I also believe these other practices help us in that endeavor. And what fasting does, it starves our flesh and it gives a gateway for the spirit to really have dominion over your life. And fasting is a way to starve your flesh in a very literal way. And it does change your life. I I have I know people with through fasting and has enabled them to ha- be free in many many areas. Let me just say this again though, fasting is not the thing that's the secret power. It's Jesus, the one that we're fasting to. Amen. So this is when it gets all religious and crazy. Okay, it's not the fasting itself. Here's what also fasting does. If you haven't realized this before, I actually realized this when we did the 21 day fast. I think every single one of you text me. Um, fasting reveals what the spirit must kill. It's not a point, but it should be because it rhymes. Amen. But fasting reveals what the spirit must kill. Here's what I mean by this. Some of you have hit me up when you fast and said, oh, this fasting is not worth it. I'm a worse person to be around when I'm fasting. Anybody say that? Come on, be honest. Zhang's <laughs> like, yeah, amen. Yeah. But literally people say, like, I, I'm not happy to be around. Like, you don't want to be around me when I'm fasting. Do you realize that's exactly the point of fasting? It shows you what's really controlling you, and it's actually bringing your temptations and the sins of your flesh to the surface because they're angry with you that you're not giving your body what they demand. Trippy. So if by 11 a.m., even though you had dinner the night before, but you're fasting by 11 a.m., you're honking at people, telling them their IQ with your finger and like all this, maybe you have an anger and pride issue that, you, that your flesh, you were just allowing to indulge in the things of the flesh and you've never actually starved it to where it gets angry at you you allow it to subside. You have the seven deadly sins that are in uh, the book of Proverbs. You have pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. When you fast, those things come forth very quickly. And that doesn't mean don't fast. It means, God, here are the sins that I have allowed to harbor in my life. And it's been infecting my life more than I realized. But when I fast, I now see them for who they are. God, would you kill these sins? Spirit, I need you. Will you give me humility in the place of pride? Will you give me peace and patience in the place of my anger? You see that? So fasting is supposed to show you how terrible you are. That doesn't mean stop. That means yes. Fasting, yes. No, fasting, Gollum, fasting is starting to work. I think it's so, so good. So fasting can be a warning sign, show you where you're actually leaning into certain directions. Oh, I need to be done because of time, but I just so badly, in the book of Philippians, it says the people um, whose God is their stomachs, wow, is that not us? We allow our stomachs to control us, to control our narrative, and our whole day is around food, and if we liked it or didn't like it, if we had enough and we're angry and all this stuff, guys, God enabled us, our body can actually be used for holy things. And it actually, your body's not supposed to control you. You are supposed to control your body. I feel like I need to say this real quick. This has nothing to do with size, right? Shape, this has nothing to do. There are different, um, I'm not a scientist, but there's different metabolisms in this room. And by the way, there's also some of you here who struggle with eating in general. Like maybe you struggle with, um, like uh, you have, um, man, I, I don't know all the different terms, like body shaming issues, right? To where like you are um, bulimic. Thank you. This whole time I was trying to get that. There's different things. I would suggest if that is something you struggle with, you like to starve yourself because you're punishing yourself. 
please do not partake in fasting. There's many other practices of Jesus that God has called you to. We don't want to be a church that enables you to continue in those habits and continues in those, those body shaming. That is not at all what God has created for you to, God, this must be an enjoyable practice. But for most of us in this room, um, maybe you don't struggle with that. I would encourage you to fast, okay? Because of all the reasons I've said so far. But here's the last point that we must understand. Jesus is always the means by which we attain both salvation and growth. For the last 200, 300 years, we have ignored the practice of fasting completely. Can you imagine fasting twice a week? That's insane, right? Why have we ignored it? I think it's because we've seen a bunch of people think that fasting is what forgives them, fasting is what saves them, and fasting is what makes them more loved by God than those who don't fast. That is a lie from the enemy, but that does not mean we reject fasting altogether. We just use fasting for the right purpose. And the way God has created our bodies, God created our minds, there is something about when we fast, it actually makes us more attuned to the things of God and more reliant upon the truth of the gospel is that you can't, but with God, you can. Jesus did it in your place. And Jesus can give you strength. I love it. Jesus in, I think it's, um, you know, John, John chapter four, I believe when they're like, how, you know, you, you haven't had any food. Let's get you some food. And he says, I, I feast, I get my strength from the word of God. And, and I think he literally means, Hey, I fast sometimes remind myself, my true strength is from the spirit and not from the flesh. There's so many reasons, but we have to realize Jesus is the end goal It's to say, Jesus, you're in control is to say, Jesus, I need you to run this ship. I need you. We have to see that, that fasting doesn't save you, fasting doesn't forgive you, and fasting doesn't make you God's favorite. Fasting is a way of releasing our bondage and feasting on God's blessings, okay? So here's my encouragement, and we're done. I would love for you to spend one day this week fasting. Maybe it's one meal, two meals, or maybe it's the whole day. What I like doing is um, I eat a, a particular time at dinner the night before, and then I'm done, no snackage, no nothing, and then I don't eat again until the next time at dinner. Um, something, just to be honest, what I think have, I have found to be helpful for me, I am trying to start, I'm Sabbathing on Friday nights through Saturday night. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. If you think it's weird, great. Can't wait for you to hear my reasoning behind it. So what I like doing now is fasting from Thursday night to Friday night because that makes that Friday night meal just so glorious and it makes you just enjoy the good things of God. So I like messing with my body of like nothing, everything, right? So that's what I want to do. Um, maybe for you though, I don't know. I would just encourage you to fast with one of those sole purposes. Maybe for you, it's asking for God's direction in your life. Fast with that endeavor. Maybe it's to remove a distraction in your life. Fast. I don't know. I'm so dumb for not saying this before, but the whole, when you're fasting, you're supposed to be praying. It's supposed to be being attuned to the things of God. You are spending that time instead of eating, you're reading God's word, you're praying, you're worshiping, you're doing other practices of Jesus alongside of it. Maybe for you, you need to fast this week. Maybe fast for a few days or for a few weeks because you're crying out to God because of an addiction that you've had and you've prayed over and over, God, forgive me, God, release me from it. But maybe it's because it is a bodily appetite that you have always constantly fed and maybe the spirit can take control when you starve the flesh. Hopefully though, the reason we're fasting is because we need and we want more of Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that gives us life and gives it to the full. Amen?